Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Thank you for being here today, and as we jump into week three of our Dysfunctional Family series, I just want to recap where we've been. Week one was Joseph and forgiveness. Last week was Solomon and idols, and I hear uh, many of you had some interesting discussions about that, so that's great. That's what we wanted to happen, is that you'd have some further discussion, maybe about your own dysfunctional family, and we said the one thing that's consistent, the one thing that is the same throughout human history is that every single family from the very first family is dysfunctional. And so as we look at different dysfunctional families of the Bible, I want to remind you that you're in good company. And anytime you put a group of people together, we're all dysfunctional because we have a problem, it's called sin, that you're going to have issues. And the the Lord Jesus Christ was not exempt from those as well. He lived in a dysfunctional family. We're going to look at his family today. Before we get there though, I hope you know that interruptions are a part of life, and whether it be traffic or earlier this summer I had my debit card hacked and and they went and spent a bunch of money in Kentucky for some reason, those minor inconveniences just frustrate us. There's one interruption that we can all relate to, I believe, and it sounds something like this. Hello? Hello? Hi, is Ken there? Speaking. Oh, hi. This is Adrian Baker, and I'm calling from FamTel on behalf of President's Choice Financial MasterCard. How are you doing today? Right. So there's, there's the one that you get usually at the most inopportune times, and those interruptions usually drive us absolutely crazy. But I want to talk to you today about interruptions because interruptions don't always have to be crazy. Sometimes it's something really serious in your family, like the loss of a job or the death of a loved one or an unexpected child, and those interruptions change and cause us to call a timeout on how we live our lives. You see, sometimes they're they're really good. Sometimes we lose a job and we actually get a, a better job. And sometimes it doesn't work out that way, and sometimes we learn to live life differently and accept a new normal because things have dramatically changed in our families. And so usually interruptions, we have this negative connotation around the idea of interruptions. And so throughout your week, you have something that you weren't expecting because you've made plans, and then something comes into play, and it changes everything that you had planned. And that interruption is is really what I believe God would love to use to wake us up to what He would want us to see. Because we get in our routines, and we get in our normal flow of our day, and we can find, though, that Sometimes when we look back, the thing that God allowed to come into our life that we would have dismissed is we'll look back and thank Him for it at another time because those interruptions caused us to stop and to think. And I think that the, the one thing, the trait that we can look at in Jesus' life today, that if you'll put it into your family and allow it to interrupt your dysfunction, you will find that humility has the power to interrupt every dysfunction that happens in your home. It can cause you to stop and to think critically about how you relate to the rest of the people in your family. 
Because humility interrupts dysfunction. When you get a group of people who decide that they're going to be humble with one another, and you put those people together, there is, there's power with that. And there's peace that comes because of that. And so normally we think of interruptions as a bad thing, but I believe that if you'll allow humility to flow through your life, and that only happens by the grace of God, that it'll be an interruption that you'll welcome. And it'll cause you to take a time out and reevaluate how you live within the context of your family. I read a book this past year uh, entitled The Storm Toss Families, and Russell Moore had this to say. He said that family humbles us, family humiliates us, family crucifies us, and that's because family is one of the ways that God gets us small enough to fight the sort of battle that can't be won by horses or chariots, but only by the Lord. If you think of the things that you've prayed about in the past year, maybe you don't even pray at all hardly. Even the people who would say, I very rarely pray, will usually have to pray about their family at some point. And as Russell said in his book, that, that family is something that God naturally uses to humble us, to help us see that we need the Lord. We don't need more money. We don't need more uh, self-help books. We need the Lord to help us deal with our family. And when you look at the life of Jesus, there's a lot of things that exemplify his life. But I would argue that humility is the one thing that allowed him to deal with his dysfunctional family in a way that is, is a really a marvel. And so as you think about your own family today, as we look at this, I think it'd be helpful to start out with a definition of humility. And to get that definition, I want to look at what the Apostle Paul said about Jesus in regards to humility in Philippians chapter 2. If you want to flip over there, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. If you've never read Philippians chapter 2, I'd encourage you to read Philippians chapter 2 every day this week. It's just one chapter, all week long. But in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but to the interest of others. And then, one of the most interesting verses, I believe, about what Jesus and his humility, he says in verse 5, in your relationships with one another, which one another would be everyone, which would include your family, in your relationships with your family, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then if you're familiar with Philippians, Paul goes on to explain all of the ways in which Jesus humbled himself. How he left the perfection of heaven, how he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, so he became himself a servant. And so Paul gives us this incredible definition of humility to start that we would value others above ourselves. That we would value our husband, our wife, our brother, our sister, our aunt, our uncle, our grandmother, our everyone. That we would value them above ourselves. And we would look not only to our own interest, but to the interest of others. When you look at that definition, that is a time out on how we normally think. That is an interruption to the way that we would normally process family. And so Paul lays out, I think, the best definition I've found of humility where he says we're going to value everybody else above ourselves and we're going to look after their interests, not just our own. As we look through Jesus' life today, we're going to look at four events in his life that marked the humility in which he dealt with his family. And the first one's found in Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, there's one in front of you. That's our gift to you. It'll also be on the screen behind me. And as we look at these four events, there were actually a lot more 
I'll reference a couple other ones, but if you, get a, if you get a chance and you want to start looking through the Gospels, just look how he dealt with his family. Just look at the way in which he dealt with his family, and I'm going to show you a few of them today. The first one starts out when Jesus is just a young boy, about 12 years old, in Luke chapter 2, verse 41. It says, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day, and then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and at his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in his heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So Jesus, growing up in a good Jewish household, they all go to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. He grew up in Nazareth. Nazareth was 60 miles, about a three-day walk away from Jerusalem. And as they make the walk down, they get into the festival. They partake in the festival. Now, at 12 years old, Jewish boys are now accountable to the law, meaning that they had to actually take the things of the law seriously. So they practiced with the customs and the beliefs and everything that they would normally do. Jesus does all this. His family begins to head home. Usually the ladies would head out first and the men would catch up in the evening. And sure enough, by the time day one after the festival, Mary thinks Joseph has him and Joseph thinks Mary has him. And if you've been a parent at all, you recognize how many of you who are parents have lost your children at one point or another? Raise them nice and proud. If you haven't, it's just a matter of time before you misplace your kids, which doesn't make you necessarily dysfunctional, just forgetful. So they get to day one, and they come to their camp, and they, they look at their, oh, I don't have, we don't have Jesus. Where's Jesus? They lost Jesus, of all people, right? They lost Jesus. So they go back to Jerusalem, and we pick up in verse 46, where we find that Jesus is just sitting there doing what all 12-year-old boys would be doing. No. I have a 10-year-old son, and this is not what he would be doing. He'd, they'd be looking for Fortnite or for something else to do. He find, they find Jesus in verse 46. It says, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening and asking questions. It's interesting that Jesus humbled himself to learn from the people who would one day crucify him. These are the people who were in charge. These are the people who were the teachers of the law. And Jesus, of all people, sits down and he just starts listening. He's willing to ask questions, which leads us to the first thing that we need to understand about humility is that humility leads to growth. Oftentimes, as parents, we think we've finally figured everything out, but humility forces us to recognize that even in the context of family, there is always a smartest person in the family. They usually know who they are, and no one cares, but humility would allow us to say that no matter what age, no matter what stage, that we could continue to learn from one another. Jesus, of all people, could have probably run the class. And he sits down and listens and gives us the first marker of 
of humility that he is, it leads to growth. You're never too young. You're never too old to continue to grow and to learn and to, to learn from one another, even in the context of family. And Jesus sets out to do this in verse 46 and 47. He learns about his faith. He's asking questions. And if you read Philippians 2 further, you'll see that he sets aside some of his godlike qualities at times, then he, he picks them up later. But we see that Jesus is, is allowing himself to be under their influence, to be under their teaching. And so humility leads to growth. The second thing you need to know about humility is that humility honors. In verse 47, it says, Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw them, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Jesus said in verse 49, Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to him. If you remember, there was an angel that came and told Mary a bunch of details about who Jesus was. And she either forgot or didn't put the pieces together that Jesus was who he said he was. But Jesus tells his parents... And he shows us that there's a way to honor God and to yet also respect his parents. And so we find that Jesus is setting up to, to show that he's going to honor his father. He said, i got to be in my father's house. And he honors God. And we're going to see in the following verses that he continues to honor his parents. If we're going to value others above ourselves and we're going to look after others' interests, not just our own, then we're going to honor, we're going to lift up those around us. Even though for Jesus... No one was worthy of this honor. But he humbles himself, and he honors God, and he's going to honor his parents here in just a moment. And we see him setting the pace for what it looks like to honor the people who are in our lives. I don't know about you, but it's usually pretty easy to honor other people, teachers, coworkers, friends. But honoring people in our family can be difficult at times. Some of them are worthy of great honor. Some of them have done things that are worthy of no honor. But Jesus sets the pace and shows us that it's possible to honor God. He knew his mission, and his parents did too. They just didn't realize the extent of it. Unless you think that Jesus was disobedient in some way, take a look at verse 51. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. This has been a terrible week for Jesus' family. They lost him. They found him. They found him in all places sitting among the teachers. Jesus says, I've got to be in my father's house. And, and, the, and the problem with this is, is that if you know how Jesus dealt with his family as he got older, is that even family fell secondary to the importance of God. And so Jesus was always seeking to honor the Father. He was always in submission to the Father. But the other thing that we find about humility is that it obeys. He went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. He left the big city of Jerusalem. He went back to Nazareth and lived in obscurity for the next almost 20 years. That takes an incredible amount of humility. When you're the son of, the God, son of God and you can literally command things, he says, okay, mom, you're right. Let's go down to Nazareth. He makes the 60-mile trek back to Nazareth where no one knows anything. What, matter of fact, people said, what good could come out of Nazareth? 
And he goes back and he humbles himself and he lives the life of a carpenter for the next almost 20-something years. And it's not a one-time obeying of Mary. The original language would denote that it was a continual obedience to Mary. And I would say that for you kids in this room, the only way that you'll be able to obey your parents is when you'll humble yourself and realize that you don't have it all figured out. And then at about, when you're about 20, 24, somewhere in there, your parents magically become the smartest people you've ever met. And so Jesus sets the pace on what it looks like to be humble. And he goes, okay, yeah, I'm, I need to honor God. I'm here in my father's house. But he obeyed his parents, and he went back to Nazareth, and he listened to them, and he made the hard choice to obey them. And then we find out that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. So Jesus grows up, and I believe that he was able to grow in wisdom and favor in part due to the fact that he was willing to humbly obey those that God had put over him. He was not only willing to obey them, he was willing to honor them. And he was willing to grow and learn in ways that he probably didn't necessarily need to learn. So Jesus grows up and his mom starts to realize who he is. And in John chapter 2, we're going to look at the next instance where he deals with his family. That was with his mother and father. And flip over to John chapter 2 and we'll see how he deals with them as he gets a little bit older. John chapter 2, Jesus is now into his 30s, early 30s. 29, 30, somewhere in there. And they're at a wedding in Cana. And Jesus, as he is at this wedding, he's at the wedding with his disciples. And in John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine, which is a problem. Verse 4 says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. At first glance, you may think that's kind of harsh, that he would refer to his wife as woman. In the original Greek, there's no notation that that's any sort of disrespect. And as Jesus appears at this wedding with his disciples, his mother, by this time, over the 20 years between the last time we saw him and this time, she's noticed that, that he can do some incredible things. And so she says, hey, Jesus, they're all out of wine. And Jesus says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. He's perfectly capable of fixing the problem. That's not an issue. But the interesting thing that we see about Jesus is, is that he was willing to wait. And that's the next marker of humility, is that humility is willing to wait. Jesus says, look, my time has not yet come. If you remember earlier, I said that Jesus was always willing to submit to the Father, especially when it comes to times. And we see this even today, that no one knows the day or the hour but the Father, the Son. And so as Jesus seeks to live out his life, his mother says, why don't you just fix the wine problem? And he says, no, it's, it's not my time. It's not my time. And we see that Jesus, he says to his mother, why do you involve me? Mary had some very probably, Mary was a great mother. Mary was not perfect. And she probably had some, for you moms in the room, 
So I'm a little bit of pride. Watch this. My son's going to fix this entire wedding right here. We don't know, but it's possible to speculate, knowing most mothers, that they would have been extremely proud of their son that could fix the wine problem. And Jesus says, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. For family, waiting is the hardest part. Waiting for your son or daughter to straighten up. Waiting for your family member to get better. Waiting for a better job. Waiting for something in your life. And I think the only way that's possible is when we choose to humble ourselves and to be patient. And so Jesus tells his mother, my time has not yet come. It's not time yet. He's willing to be patient. Jesus' relationship with his brothers is interesting. He had uh, several brothers, Joseph, James, Simon, and Jude. They were all half-brothers. Can you imagine growing up with Jesus as your brother? I want you to be more like Jesus, right? As your mom would say that over and over again. Maybe some of you dealt with that. I want you to be more like your sibling, and so Jesus' brothers is the next one we're going to look at because he's dealt with his parents and now he deals with his brothers in, in a similar way. It's interesting that Jesus' brothers didn't believe him. They didn't believe that he was the Son of God, the Messiah. Mark chapter 3 records that they thought he was crazy. And we're going to be over in John chapter 7. But in Mark chapter 3, Jesus grows such a crowd that his brothers say he's absolutely crazy. Let's get him out of here. And so they didn't believe that he really was who he said he was. And in John chapter 7, there's a a big crowd during the Festival of Tabernacles. And in John chapter 7, verse 3, it says, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. And since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe him. So Jesus comes with great fanfare into the world, a meek and mild manger, but yet also the praise of angels. His brothers come along, and like most brothers, they're not sure their brother is really that special. And they are with him during the Feast of Tabernacles, and he's in an area that he's not as well known. And they say, look, if you're going to be a public figure, you've got to step out and, and do something to get your name out there. A little bit of name recognition. But John records that his brothers didn't even believe him. And so Jesus says in verse 6, therefore Jesus told him, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. And we see once again that Jesus, even though his brothers didn't believe him and he could have done anything to make them believe, he sits back and he waits once again for God the Father. And he waits and takes time for the right time so that God can do exactly what he wants to do. You see, Jesus was willing to wait for God's perfect timing. And sadly, I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself, I'm not usually willing to wait for God's perfect timing. I have a timetable, and it very rarely lines up with God's. But Jesus was willing to wait, even at the expense of his brothers telling him, not only are you crazy, but if you really want to be a public figure, you got to put your name out there. When you think of the family in which you are a part of, there's some things happening And I just want to remind you today that God is always working. 
At first glance, his brothers, they don't believe him. They think he's crazy, but we're going to find here by the end of our time today that his brothers come to believe in him. And his brothers are a part of what transforms this planet. And so I just want to remind you today, as you seek to be patient with the people in your family, just be reminded that God is always working, and you don't always see it. And he may be doing something in your family's lives right now. And if you will be patient, and you will have the humility to value them above yourself and to look after their own interests, not your own, that you can begin to interrupt the dysfunction in your family when we will take a step back, call a time out, and value them truly, and to look at their interests, not just your own. Jesus' love and humility made him leave the perfection of heaven. And as he left the perfection of heaven, he entered our broken, fallen world. And the last, one of the last instances in Jesus' life we're going to look at as he hangs on the cross in John chapter 19. Jesus goes to pay for your sin and for mine on the cross. And at his darkest hour, we learn one more thing about Jesus' humility. In John chapter 19, verse 25, it says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, so his aunt, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, he said, Here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. So Jesus goes to pay for your sins and mine, for our dysfunction. And we find out the next marker of humility is that humility cares. He's standing there paying for the sins of the world in excruciating pain. And he doesn't ask for anything for himself. He asks that his mother be taken care of. His brothers, at least that we have record, are not on the scene. The only people that showed up is his mom, his aunt, Mary Magdalene, and John. And Jesus, as he's hanging there on the cross, looks down and says, Woman, here is your son. Will you please take care of her? That takes an incredible amount of humility, right? If I was being tortured to death, I would not be caring about what everybody else was going through. And oftentimes, we get into our own rhythms, into our own problems, and the only thing we see is right in front of us. And Jesus shows us that it's possible to value others above ourselves and to look after our own interests, even when things are going terribly wrong, because humility cares. We have no record of Jesus busting out of the tomb three days later yelling, I told you so. We don't see that. So even in triumph, he's, he's humble. But the resurrection changed everything for us, and it changed everything for his brothers as well. I want to look at the one last place. It's in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Jesus ascends to heaven, and as he ascends to heaven, the disciples get back together, and there's other people who become a part of the church at that point, and they have to decide who they're going to replace Judas with. They figure that out. And it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, that they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. 
You see, the resurrection changed everything for you, for me, and for his brothers. But I believe that humility laid the framework and the groundwork so that they could see that he, didn't just, he wasn't just a good man who died. He was the perfect son of God who died. And we find them that they now believe, right? They are with him. His brothers are alongside him. And I believe it was willing because he was willing to humble himself. Matter of fact, in your Bible, you have the book of James, who was the half-brother of Jesus. You have the book of Jude, who was the half-brother of Jesus. Mark 3 records they did not believe in him. They did not think he was normal. They thought he was crazy. But by the end of his life, they came not only to believe in him, but that they would one day give their lives for what he preached and what he proclaimed. And so Jesus' family of all families starts out with an illegitimate pregnancy to a couple who's not even married. They have to flee and go to Egypt. They come back from Egypt and they eventually settle in Nazareth and they live in obscurity for some 20 years. His brothers don't believe him. People pretty much hate him. He's willing to learn from the people who would one day crucify him, and all the while, Jesus shows us what it looks like to be humble with our family. Now, you're not Jesus, and I'm not Jesus, which means that we're going to have to only be able to do this. As Russell Moore says, this is the kind of battle that's only going to happen when we ask the Lord for his help. And so as you think through that today and what it might mean, you need to understand that humility has the power to interrupt the dysfunction that comes in your life. And that this is your choice. That you have the power to do this. You have the power to value others above yourself. Not because you're great, but because we have a God who will allow us to reframe the picture and to see it from a different perspective and to help us understand how sinful we are and how sinful the people that we live with are. And so God, in His goodness and His grace, it gives us mercy so that we can not only live together, but thrive together. And not live in some sort of perfect family state that you could post on Instagram, but live in peace. You may say, well, how in the world does that happen? Well, here's a couple things that you may want to think about when it comes to humility interrupting dysfunction. Man, if I could speak to you for a moment, maybe you're lauded with respect at work, respect at the golf course. Respect at the gym, but there's one place in your life that you don't get the respect you so desperately crave, and that's at home. Can I tell you that the only way that's going to happen is if you'll humble yourself and ask the hard question of, am I living a life, and the only reason I can tell you this is because I've had to do this, am I living a life that's worthy of the respect I desire? That takes humility to ask that question. And then it takes a lot of humility to get the answer. Ladies, maybe you love and you give and you serve and you nonstop devote yourself to your family, your friends, and, and it seems like nobody takes a notice. Can I promise you that one person notices the sacrifice that you give and you will one day be absolutely rewarded for that? But in the meantime, you're going to need humility to be willing to say, look, I'm going to love even when sometimes I don't get love in return. Kids, can, can I tell you that, that you need humility to obey your parents? And I can promise you that you don't know all the things that you think you know. But I can also promise you that one day if you will humble yourself 
today. It'll pay huge dividends tomorrow. And you'll walk into your 20s suddenly discovering what most of us have discovered is that our parents were a lot smarter than we gave them credit for. College students, you're headed out. Many of you, this is your last Sunday with us today. It's going to take humility to live with a roommate who you've never lived with before. It's going to take humility to deal with some of the idiosyncrasies that they may have. And so it's going to take humility for you as well. And then maybe you're trying to do this life on your own. Maybe you think you're good enough or you come to church enough or whatever. And can I just tell you, it's going to take humility for you to either today or hopefully sometime soon to realize that you need Jesus Christ. And for many of the people in this room, it's, it's came at a great cost of dysfunction for us to finally see that our sin is what separates us from God and that the only way we can do that is not by trying harder, it's not by going to church more, it's not by more effort, but simply willing to lay down and say, Jesus, you are not only Lord, You've not only paid for my sins, but I need you to help me today. And so humility interrupts dysfunction. And when I, I just encourage you this week as you face an interruption that comes into your life, whether it be a phone call you weren't expecting or something that happens, that you would use that as a clue to take a step back and to ask yourself, am I valuing others above myself? And am I looking to the interest of others? I believe it's entirely possible that you'll be able to do that with the Lord's help today. Humility also does one other thing. In week one, we talked about forgiveness, which can be difficult. Last week, we talked about idols, which can be hard to think through. But humility also would lead us, hopefully, to have a conversation with our family. And my hope and my prayers throughout this series, whether it's today or two weeks ago or two weeks from now, is that you would have the humility to ask your family the hard questions of, what's my idol? Or to have the hard discussion around forgiveness. Or that we would have the humility to even ask, where am I missing this? Because I believe if you'll do that, the dysfunction will start to fade away. It will always be there to some extent, but I believe it will absolutely fade away because humility interrupts dysfunction. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today and the opportunity we have to look into your word. And God, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ, our Savior, who not only paid the price for our sins and allows us to be right before you, but God showed us what it was to look like when we live with sinful, broken, fallen people. And God, we're so thankful that he lived that perfect life in the midst of a family who didn't believe him, in the midst of trying to honor you above everybody else. And that God, that we find today that humility is possible, not because of some greatness in us, because of the greatness of you. And so God, help us, help me to be humble people not only in the context of our family, but God, each and every day. Because when we realize what has been done for us and what we have, our only response is humility. And so God, as we work through the dysfunction in our own lives and the dysfunction that's with our families, I pray that you'd give us grace and mercy to face that battle. But we know it's not alone, Lord. We know that you offer that help 
And so, God, I pray that you would offer that help today to us. We know that you offer. I pray that we'd be willing to take you up on it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.